HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, we are in historic Filipino town in Los Angeles, sitting down with Keegan Fong, who, along with his mother and his sister and his family, started Woon as a family-run pop-up, which is now a brick-and-mortar, serving up very delicious, very unique, very authentic Chinese food. We had a great conversation. We talked about the space, the journey to the restaurant, and everything that goes into working with your family. Then we dig deep into the archives to listen to Power Snap, a Brooklyn Garage punk band by way of Tel Aviv. It was a really great performance. We had a lot of fun. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm with Keegan Fogg, founder and owner of Woon in historic Filipino town. Yeah. Edge of Silver Lake. Hi-Fi. Hi-Fi. Edge of Silver Lake, Echo Park, West Lake. Yeah. This, this is more for when you're looking at like your uh, Postmates caviar vibe, you know, how close the restaurant is to you ordering. Totally. Yeah. Uh, we're, uh, that, we're that place now. Um, <laughs> and you're born and raised uh, LA out in Pasadena. Yeah, I was born in Pasadena, raised out there, um, and then I, I had a little stint in San Diego because I went to college down there and Shout I stayed, out. stayed Th- down there. What's your fish taco place down there? Fish tacos? Or just tacos in general? Dang, there's so many. I mean, the place that we used to frequent all the time was this, it's just so bad. Uh, it, it was my college spot, but this place called Sarah's. Fair. <laughs> They're all names. They're like, all names. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you talk about college spots or you look back on, on food before you sort of get a little bit more into it. You go, the memory's great, but I don't know if I want to go back and, and mess with that memory. That's why I just started laughing. Because I was like, why would I even mention this place? Because I would never go back. Yeah. But it's what sticks out in my mind. Yeah. Um, so growing up in, in Pasadena... Uh, and in L.A., Chinese food has really gone through some incredible changes in the last, I mean, really recently, but the last five years, ten years. What have you seen growing up here? Yeah, it's pretty interesting because Pasadena is so close to San Gabriel Valley. Yeah, which we love. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of Chinese food to me has, you know, it's San Gabriel Valley. Mm-hmm. Like growing up, that's, we would drive less than half a mile down to San Gabriel, Alhambra, Monterey Park, and that's just what I knew as Chinese food, um, which was kind of like its own little. To me, it was it felt normal, but as I as I'm getting older, I've I've realized like that was a very rare thing. It is very rare, yeah, to have that type of Chinese food, but also regionally specific. So much of China represented in one small part of America. Yeah, it's insane. They have, it's pretty much yeah, like you said, it's like. All of China is, is in this little pocket. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me personally, like the evolution of Chinese food in L.A., I've, it's weird because I feel like as I've gotten older, I think I've started to become more cognizant of it. Whereas before I was so ignorant to the fact that like all this was existent only there. And it wasn't until I moved to San Diego where I was like, oh, like, this stuff doesn't exist elsewhere. No. And there was one little pocket in San Diego that I'd frequent by myself because I was, you know, I was in a predominantly, like, white college and no one wanted to go eat Chinese food with me, so I would go by myself. But it was, like, the shittiest Chinese food you could get. And Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that idea of shitty Chinese food is pretty ubiquitous across America. Yeah. Um, but you not only didn't have to deal with shitty Chinese food while eating out, but also at home. Your mom, who's sort of the inspiration, Mama Fong, yeah. uh, for this restaurant and her recipes. Um, what was it like growing up with that type of food coming out of your own kitchen at home? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's how she got the nickname Mama Fong. It was literally <laughs> like throughout high school. My sister's four years older than me, so she kind of paved the way through high school for me, but it was her friends and my friends that would just come over every day and just ask my mom to make food and my mom was always like the host where like if anyone came over she's like oh do you want something to eat 
and my friends would be stoned or like they'd be drunk <laughs> and my mom would have no clue and they're like they'd just come over because they knew she'd make them food and they're like mama fong and she'd be like you want like a steak with like chimichurri or like you want noodles you want like anything and she'd make it for them and at what time she's from shanghai she was born in shanghai and then grew up in hong kong got it and did that influence the type of food that she made growing up in two different well i mean one's mainland china and then hong kong it's, yeah its own place i mean it definitely did because i mean this restaurant is pretty representative of that it's yeah it's mainly based out of you know Shanghainese food, but at the same time, there's a lot of Cantonese influence in there. There's a little bit of like Taiwanese influence in there. But and, and for those who don't know the difference, can you give a little bit of insight to the different regions and and what type of food it is? Yeah, so Shanghainese food, I would say, is mainly generally it's like sweeter. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a little heavier. Like the noodle, the noodles that we use are are much thicker. Um, it's a stir fried noodle. Um, there's a lot of like pork belly, so it's a lot of like braises that are on the sweeter side. Um, Hong Kong is more like, I guess the most relevant thing would be like dim sum. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff, you know, like stinky tofu and all that stuff. But I guess a good example is my mom doesn't like sugar, so she kind of tweaked her version of Shanghainese food to mm. be less sweet. Less sweet yeah. and more on the savory side. She doesn't like using a lot of oil, so she keeps it a little cleaner. But our noodles are like a mix of like Shanghainese with a little bit of Taiwanese in there. Um, but the pork belly is very Shanghainese, whereas like the fried tofu fish cakes are very like Cantonese inspired. Because at dim sum, you'll get um, those same things, but it's stuffed with pork instead of fish. And it's right. steamed and she fries it because she knew that we liked it crispy when we were younger. It's pretty amazing to have this unique perspective on this hugely diverse cuisine all being filtered through one person and then having the wherewithal to recognize that it is special because um, she even goes as far as using different types of ingredients that wouldn't you know you find a lot of regional cuisines where people are like this is how we cook it yeah and this is what the people want especially customers so this is how we do it and your mom's like no 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 it's postmodern <laughs> totally and I think that has a lot I think that has a lot to do with the fact that my grandma actually didn't cook too much. Hmm. Um, and she, when she did cook, it was stuff that my mom kept with her, like a chicken soup that is like amazing. It's like seven ingredient chicken soup. Hmm. But aside from that, my grandma, because when they moved to the States, she was so infatuated by the fact that like, there's like ready to eat food. She became obsessed with like Marie Callender's chicken pot pies, so that was all my mom grew up with. Got it. And my mom was fed up with eating that stuff that she taught herself how to cook Shanghainese food. What a reverse <laughs> type of experience, because most of the times you hear people who are first generation come over and they're cooking traditional food, and then the second generation or their their children are rejecting that for the peanut butter jelly sandwich because they feel yeah. ostracized, especially 10, 20, 30 years ago. Totally. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I I was the opposite, right? Like, What, I, what did you want? I always wanted, like, Lunchables. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, my friends came with, like, pudding, <laughs> uh, fruit snacks, and Lunchables, and I, I came with... My mom would make me the most... That's a whole other subject. My mom would make me the most extravagant lunches, and to this day, I'm just like, God, I 
was such an asshole. Oh my god, I remember when my mom was still making dinner, and I was like, I just want pizza. <laughs> and now, if I could have those those you know European inspired three course dinners every night that my Crazy. mom made, yeah. What was a what was a typical lunch from your mom? Um, the one that stands out the most is she would make me these like caprese sandwiches with like a balsamic glaze. Mm. Um, on, so like, not all Chinese food. Not all Chinese food. She she cooks amazing food all around but and I would like bring that to school and it'd be like tied she'd be she was so ahead of her time she would be tied with like twine and wax paper and everyone would be like what the hell are you eating dude and they're just like eating lunchables but but my friend my good friend who actually works here she actually caught on and was like this is amazing <laughs> and I asked her to a high school dance with a sandwich because Aww. because of that so in the end it worked out but i mean like and then there'd be the stinky chinese food like you know she'd cook like fried rice and oh. i would it i would think it would like smell bad what i would give now for yeah. fried rice at lunch i know it's right like the most comforting thing ever so i want to jump ahead a little bit um so you're 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 sort of back you're in san diego you sort of realize that your mom's food is something special you're working in marketing you're with uh, surf stuff and and streetwear when did the idea of food start to creep in as a business um when i was in college early in college my sister and i were like loosely we, she's in fashion, mm-hmm. and I was obviously interested in in that world too. But we always had this idea of like we should own a business together. Mm. Like, we always had this thing in our mind. We even came up with a name for it. I won't say it because it's really embarrassing. But just the idea of a business, we a should business. own something. We're like the most ideal thing was like, what if we had this place where you could like sell clothes and, yeah. like, and like records <laughs> and there'd and there'd be like a kitchen with a little noodle bar and like yeah. mom could serve her noodles and, and be that, heavily curated yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone's dream yeah and that i actually built like a, a deck for that sure. for a long time and then that always stuck with me like dude like my mom's food like that sounds like a great business she's always wanted a restaurant that's like the unique selling point right it's the unique yeah exactly yeah it's the unique selling point <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, th- I think as time went on, I just like missed her food so much down there. I was like, man, there's like San Diego's kind of missing this. Like, yeah. Like there's a huge opportunity, and I was like, as time went on, and I graduated, and I was working my other jobs, I just it felt passionate to be able to have something for myself. So I would work on a business plan, a l- very loose business plan, for a restaurant that featured my mom's recipes. And when did you run it by her? And when you ran it by her, did she think that you were crazy that people would want pay money for her food um yeah that's funny um i think the first time i ran it by her was my uncle was hosting he he's from la he has a antique business in la it's called jf chen and he was hosting a craft fair called parachute market Mm -hmm. and my cousin bianca was curating the the vendors for it um, and she got Gorilla Tacos at that time. Shout out. I had no clue who Gorilla Tacos was. And she's like, yeah, we got this truck. It's called Gorilla, Ta- Gorilla Tacos, but I think we're going to need more food. And at that moment, I was like, we'll do like, it. Let, let us do it. We had yeah. like 30 days, and I hit up my mom, and she's like, what? Huh? Like, what? No, I can't do that. And then I, I hit up my sister and my brother-in-law, who's from Austria, 
I was like, are you guys down to like try and figure this out? They're like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. So we literally, I remember meeting at my mom's house around the dining room table and I just had this like long checklist of mm. what, what we would need to do. And we kind of just like delegated and like got it done. How close was that checklist of what you thought you needed to do versus the reality of what you actually needed to do? Dude. 60%, 80%, 90%? Honestly, I think it was, it, it, it was like 90%. That's pretty good. Because it like, it was very detailed, like, like down to like create the logo, like create aprons. My sister got the aprons custom made from her coworker. Amazing. And like the logo was like embroidered on there. Uh. Like, it feels very real. You get a you get an apron with a logo on it. People are like, "Oh, so what else have you done?" You're like, "This is our first time." Exactly. And what's funny is like people were so, you know, they were so taken aback by that. And I was like, "Oh, I thought this is what everyone did." Amazing. Well, we're gonna take a quick musical break. We're gonna talk about the early days and then the uh, the journey to opening up your first brick and mortar. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Keegan Fong, founder and owner of Woon. So before the break, you were telling us about that first event. And was it after the first event or was it a little bit longer when you realized that you had, if not a brick and mortar restaurant business plan, but something viable as like a food pop up, something unique? Yeah, I think I think it was during that first event. Um, everyone was so responsive to it it was a two-day event i remember the first day we sold out by like it was like 3 p.m or something um and we were there from like noon till dinner time and that's when we were like oh man like people actually are responding to this so then my mom that night my mom and i like ran to the market and grabbed a bunch more ingredients and the next day we sold out again a little later but i think after that first event we you know, we had a little bit of incoming from people that were there, like, hey, can you do this event for us? Can we do... That's when we were kind of like, oh, like, we created a little demand. And th- I remember the following week, we did an event in San Diego, and then after that, we started kind yeah. of gaining momentum from there. But we were all working full-time, so... That's that, tough. That thought was still pretty far away, but it was just, you know, it gave us a little bit of confidence... And the fact that, like, oh, like, if we were to do this seriously, I think we'd be able to create some type of following. And how are people responding to this type of Chinese food? Because if you've never had real Chinese food, never gone to SGV, um, do people go, what is this? This isn't the Chinese food that I know, or I didn't know that Chinese food could be like this? 
Yeah, that's um, that's another interesting one because I think the type of noodles that we serve, a lot of people do those noodles. And I think the difference between us and them is most people don't make that the forefront of their menu. They're always focusing on some other type of noodle, beef noodle soup, or like, um, you know, like some type of uh, Sichuan, like spicy noodle, or it's not like just this very comforting bowl of pretty simple, but at the same time kind of complex bowl mm-hmm. of noodles. And I think that's what was unique about us is that we put this like, usually this dish that's usually on the back burner of the menu kind of as the forefront. Hmm. Interesting. And I think that's where people were like, oh, I didn't know that this type of style could taste like this. I mean, how much education did you have to do? Uh, I, you mean to, for the customers? Mm-hmm. Like, how much did you have to be telling them that what you may think of this type of cuisine is a very small, specific type of this, and this is a giant, diverse ethnically rich type of food and that there are other offerings and there's other ways to approach it and there are things that you may have never known about that you absolutely love like it can be the most comforting soul warming rich food to the most aggressively heated tear you up type of cuisine and everything in between yeah it's pretty crazy I mean I think for us we were just kind of doing our thing and like Mm -hmm. we were just making these noodles and they kind of like they're kind of like self-explanatory. I mean, once you have them, the texture and, and everything about it is just like, it comes together very easily. And I think that was the first thing is like, people are, these are good. They didn't care where they came from right. or what they're, you know, what they're You're represent. like, my mom's from Shanghai. She yeah. lives in Hong Kong. We live in SGV. And they're like, no, no, it tastes good. I'm good. It's okay. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's fine. That's and fine. Honestly, that was, that was the main thing. Yeah. Like, if you look at my business plan now, it's like, food that tastes good, like everything else kind of comes after it. If you want to dig deeper to the story, there's such a rich history there, but if yeah. you just want to come in and get the noodles and, and the beef exactly come, come at you. Yeah. So you got more popularity, but you all have full-time jobs. Yeah. When did you start thinking about cutting the safety net of having a job, but then also investing in a restaurant? What, what was that mentality? When did you finally feel that you had enough support or you could take that leap of faith? Yeah, so we were doing pop-ups for, it was like either every month or every other month. Like my sister had a baby during this time, so it was like hard to get everyone together. But we were doing it. I was trying to stay relevant, and it ended up being like four years of that. Yeah. But it was probably like year three where I was like, it's either like it's do or die now. Like I Mm. make something of this or I just forget about it because we're not making money on it. We're like, we're paying ourselves a little bit. It's an art project. It's, an it's art a delicious pro- one, it's but a, it's an art project. Exactly. It's an art project that is very labor intensive. Yeah. Um, and it all fell on me too. I was driving to LA, loading in, loading out, prepping all day with my mom. And I could tell like we'd all be really stressed, but it would be really rewarding after the event. But at that point I was like, I was like, it's do or die. And honestly, the job I was at at that moment was really helpful in the sense that like I helped build a pretty big business from the ground up mm. and I, I was able to be a part of that and able to learn from it and I felt like I wanted to learn as much as I could there and then I would be ready to kind of start my own thing. Like learn what it means to start a business without your own money 
It's true yeah. though. I mean, there's a lot of pratfalls uh, that come with starting any business, whether it's a restaurant or an antique store or you know, I don't know, importing coffee beans yeah. that you can learn and then apply to your own business. Totally. <laughs> that yeah. is a lot less risk, risk yeah. adverse. No, you're right. And I mean, although it was a complete opposite industry that I was in, you know, obviously there's still the main foundations that I could take from it. And you also have a background in, as you mentioned, in marketing and things like that. So what did you apply from that into creating the brand, creating Woon, you know, because it is a very different type of Chinese food restaurant, mm-hmm. um, while at the same time being also very authentic Chinese food. It's not like a, I don't know, you could say a hipster version if you don't want to really dig in, but like it is a, it's authentic food, mm-hmm. but a new, fresh look. Yeah, I mean, aside from, you know, aside from everything you can learn like physically like social media or digital marketing digital strategy aside from that stuff where I was I think the main piece that I took out of it was like I was marketing this story that I was essentially creating stories for this brand to Mm. market that I wasn't fully invested in you know what I mean right and I started to realize like I think the biggest takeaway was I was I wanted to get into marketing something I was passionate about and telling a real story and that's what Woon is so that was the biggest takeaway is like just tell it how it is like this is how I grew up this place is representative of my mom's house and my own it's literally just like a mixture of her house and mine like the furniture and everything is very similar to the space I live in and then you know, like these cabinets, the pictures on the wall are literally taken from my mom's house. I mean, for those who can't see, it's this gorgeous, minimal wood, very clean, uh, refined design table chairs, things like that. Yeah. And I, I think I wanted it to feel like home and this is like, it feels very homey and it's also the size of the space and the open kitchen and things like that very much where you're walking in to someone's house in many ways. that means a lot. But. And it's an authentic, I mean, you know, that word authenticity gets thrown around so much, but you actually do have an authentic story because it's coming directly from your grandma to your mom to you and your sister and your family. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. I, I, and I think that's the takeaway that I got was like, I don't want to do anything that's not authentic to me. Now, do people come in and because they haven't had this type of Chinese food, say, oh, this is an authentic Chinese food? Oh, yeah, all the time. How do you deal with that? It freaking drives me nuts. I mean, like, if I, if I go on Yelp and I get certain reviews, and I read certain reviews, um, it, like, it, it just, I don't know. It, it, yeah, that's, like, one of the things that ticks me off. It's tough, right? Because you yeah. could go at them and be like, you have not done your research, and you don't really know that this is my mom's food, and she's from China, or you can be like, no, I'm a business owner and they're going to eat what they're going to eat and they're probably not going to come here anyway because this is not the type of food they're looking for. I, I kind of have both perspectives. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, okay, when I first opened this business, I replied to every single Yelp review. Of course. Up until number 50. And if you read number 50, it's one of those comments and I went off on the guy. I left about like three paragraphs and I was like, okay, that's the last one I'm ever going to do. And if anyone like... 
if anyone says the same thing, like I'll just refer back to that one and say I already, you know, I C already said what I needed to C say. Yelp review fifty. Yeah. In a perfect world, what do you want people to take away from your experience at Woo? Honestly, I just want them to like feel comfortable. I've always said this, like I want them to feel like they are a guest in our home, and that's so cheesy to say. But to be honest, it's like that's how my friends always felt at my mom's house. And it's just like, regardless of, you know, I don't know, regardless of the space or whatever, like I just want people to feel like they can be who they are here. They can do whatever they want. They can, you know, I think our staff is, is very like welcoming and not overbearing. And I think that's representative of that because that's how my mom was. Um, but that's kind of our main motto is like just welcome everyone like it's like it's their home and the food is it's almost like you know the food is the food it's always going to be there and and I think what people should like they'll know what to expect I guess is like they're going to get comforting Chinese food and I think the experience is like kind of a bonus for that like the, the yeah. atmosphere and, and our servers and the drinks we offer kind of enhances that whole experience you know having a place like this and being would you consider yourself second generation yeah what inspiration do you hope that other people who are second generation americans can take away from like place like this because if you don't want to use the word authentic the food here and the 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 is pulling from a, a set specific inspiration and has a clear point of view what do you hope that other people who come from your generation can take away from moon and apply to their own lives whether it's food, clothing, art, something like that if they want to start their own business? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, f I think I've been inspired by a lot of other second generation people. And for me, it's like, this is a way to like pay homage to my family, my mom and where she came from. And I think people can do that in a lot of different ways, whether it's a clothing brand or whatever. My friend Chelsea, good friend Chelsea growing up she started a clothing line and it's it's very representative of like China and what's the contemporary mm. fashion design which is amazing and I think it, that's inspiring to me like being able to see other people doing that because it's I don't know I think it's it's becoming more common now but it was rare you know it was very rare like most second generation want to fit in and like kind of become part of the mold but you can I think you can kind of do that but also kind of nod your past and history and that's what I've kind of been trying to do is make it relevant but also um, make it traditional at the same time of course um, I'd be remiss to not mention that Chinese food restaurants have been in the news a lot recently because of coronavirus and things like that and I don't know if that's affected you or anything like that but how do you feel, and if not just coronavirus, but when other things from other parts of the world can get in the news and things like that, like what is the important way to really approach that and to support the local community when there's a global event that maybe has people not quite understanding the situation? Yeah, that one's been weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's obviously like a lot of stuff in the media, like, oh, like, you know, like xenophobia and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um... It's pretty complex. Like for us, directly, like thankfully, and I, we haven't been affected by 
that whole thing very much. Like we've actually been very busy. I think it does have to do with where we're located and the kind of, uh, I guess, the kind of persona we put off. Like my, people might think this is like, oh, it's white Chinese food, so it's safe. But it's the it's so authentic Chinese food, which is really funny. It's probably another Yelp review. Maybe yeah. maybe you go back in. Totally. Yeah, that's that's Yelp review number fifty actually. But um, what's funny? Yeah, I've been talking to a lot of other people, and they've been affected by it. Yeah, a lot, especially in San Gabriel Valley, which which is unfortunate. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I think there's obviously the media is playing this huge thing. Um, it's kind of crazy. These guys next door, this building next door, they're an industrial supply company. Yeah, they provide things like our gloves in the, in the back of the house, surgical masks, all that stuff. There's people knocking on their door and offering like $1,000 for a case of N95 masks, which is nuts, insane. Um, and do they need it right here? I don't think they do, but maybe they're selling it on the black market. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my opinion is that I think the media is kind of talking this thing up and it's unfortunately affecting a lot of Chinese businesses, which I think is crazy and it, it shouldn't be that way. And um, and we've been affected by it. We actually, we got a couple events canceled and they literally replied saying, oh, um, I canceled this. Like I was getting their catering order prepped on a Thursday for a Friday event. I followed up with them on Thursday. Hey, just want to make sure this is still going on. They replied, Oh, haha, like, I canceled the event because of the coronavirus, laugh out loud. And I just read that, and I was like, like what? Like, what? And I, yeah. It's so like, it's, that's, that's not really how it works, but sure. Yeah, but that's, that's the extent of which I've been affected by it. And luckily, we haven't been too affected by it. But go to SGV, support. Yeah, 100% go to SGV. I... My buddy Christian, he has a new restaurant called Yang's Kitchen. He's killing it Shout out, out there. Shout out Alhambra, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't think he needs the help. Like, he's getting a lot of business. But when I was there, was um, when I was there a couple weeks ago, it was like in the middle of that thing. And when I talked to um, his girlfriend, Maggie, who's the GM there, she had mentioned that business was a lot slower. And it's unfortunate because it's crazy. Like, I just don't understand. Like, that we're a world away um i can see why people get scared but at the same time it's like i don't know man it's like <laughs> it's tough because you know it's it's chinese restaurants now but it could be you know spanish restaurants it could be french restaurants you know uh it's just it, when you just go blindly into those sort of writing off a whole culture because of something it, it leads to bad things well it's like are we importing our produce from China? No. Like, and I think people think that. Like, or they think that, like, the delivery guy was in Wuhan a week ago and now he's writing their food. It's like, guys, that's not really how it works. Yeah. If you also study, like, travel patterns, immigration policy, things like that. But, you know, it's just sometimes it's easier just to write off a whole culture it and is. be safe despite how much that might hurt or affect people. Totally. I mean, my, my, my wok chef... I mean, he's from Vietnam. I don't think he's ever been to China. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, he looks, he, he speaks Chinese, he looks Chinese, so people think, oh, like, he might have just gotten off a plane from China. I don't know, it's pretty... 
Yeah. It's interesting. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your food with us. If you haven't been to Woon, it is delicious. Um, if people want to find you online or come and visit or get some of the good merch, where can they go? Uh, WoonKitchen.com and WoonKitchen on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Darren. That yeah. was fun. Shout out to your it. mom, too, for all the recipes. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she unfortunately, she's taking care of uh, her grandkids right now while my sister's out of the country. So Hey, family first. Make it. Yeah. Family first. <laughs> totally. Uh, so we have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 3539. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Power Snap Live in studio. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Paul. You're going to have to shout since you're all the way back All there. Right. Hi. <laughs> Paul on drums. Romy on guitar. And vocals, or both vocals. Yeah, she's like the lead vocals. Okay. And I'm doing some background things. I'm Noga. Noga. Um, so you're from Tel Aviv. 
or two of you are from Tel Aviv. Oui. I'm uh, from actually Ramat Gan. It's like a city next to Tel Aviv. Fair enough. How far out? Like 10 minutes drive. Give it respect. <laughs> Give it respect. Walking? Uh, walking, it's like, depends 40. to which part. But you, it's walk, like, you walked it Yeah, a few it could times. be like in 40 minutes, an hour maybe. Okay. Um, growing up, what was the rock scene like in Tel Aviv? And what were your influences? S- small. Rock scene is small. Um... Noga barely knows any Israeli music. Just because my parents. Th- no, I do know, like, but just from the sixties. Yeah. Israeli music in what sense? Like traditional Israeli music, like contemporary pop Israeli music, or oh, that's like neither of us. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe a little bit. There's, uh, there's not a lot to talk about with uh, contemporary Israeli music. I think. <laughs> um, and so, uh, growing up, uh, how did you get into this? And what were your influences, or, or where from around the world influenced the the music that you play and got into? Well, me, Romy, my dad is a musician. What does he play? He plays guitar and sings. Okay. What type of music? Rock. Okay. <laughs> I can primary so, source. Yeah. <laughs> and Noga's dad is a musician too. Yeah, he plays bass and guitar, and he plays like rock and blues and. Stuff and like were that. they in? Did they do their original music cover bands? What type of? Where did they play around town? My my dad had and still has a long career of like his songs and music. What is it? Does he perform in his name, or what is it? A band, or no? His name is Shalom Chanoch. And what is his? And he plays around Israel, or what is his reception and audience? He, he plays. A lot in Israel. He comes. He he tours um, the U.S. every like couple of years. He's like a very big name, so he's like one of the reasons it was hard for me to like stay in that small little country. Because there was n- because there was like there was no way it wasn't gonna be like a daughter of exactly. Right. <laughs> so uh, how how did how did he influence you, and then how were you able to kind of define your own voice away from dad in the in the early days? Well, I, I just grew up around music, and then I went to, um, like, an art high school to the jazz department where I met Nogi. Yeah, friends from high school. <laughs> and I, since I was 12 and got to know Green Day, I wanted to start a band and move to the U.S., so when I met Nogi, she was a pianist, and, um... And one day I got her to play bass, and then I was like, hey, we should do a band together. <laughs> Did you make a playlist since the rock scene was small? I, I mean, normally in the, in the States, you'd be like, we want to be like, and then you list, you know, the wide, diverse range of influences that you could have from anywhere in the States. Where were you pulling from? And when you, you know, when you say rock music, who, you know, who did you give as, you know, you used to have flyers like in the city. If you play this and these are your influences, we're looking for a bass player. Did you make a playlist? Did you did you like pass her some vinyl, some mixtapes, some to stuff? her? Yeah. Um, no, because she loves the Beatles, and that's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, what were your early uh, shows like before you? Came, how long were you in a band, and was it always Power Snap? And then you came here, or did were you a different band, and then when you moved here, you reformed as Power Snap? So it started just from the both of us. We were playing like bass and guitar like in cafes places. yeah in Tel Aviv yeah. in Tel Aviv when we started when we were like 16 or 17 mm-hmm. and then 16. 16 right and then what happened I don't remember we met like a couple your cousin and, and then, his friend no and then I I was like okay I'm moving to New York but I want to record some of my original songs so when I move to New York and try to find a band um, people know what, like what my style is mm-hmm. so I, and that was when you were like 17 or 16 
said. Never mind. When you like were like younger than today. No. <laughs> no. Earlier than today. Yeah, earlier yeah. than today. And then I took Noga and I took my nephew, who's almost my age, and a couple of his friends, and we recorded like three songs. And then I got here and I was like, wait, I have a band in Israel, so I'm going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> so did you go back and drag Noga by the hair or? get on your knees and beg her to come or how did you end up no I was like yeah I'm totally down to like try to move to a different country it took a few years though because I came back when I was like 17 yeah I, I wasn't moved. ready to move yeah, you I, was, ready. I wanted to do like other stuff and then she met her bit. boyfriend who's also a musician and then his bandmates from Israel moved to New York Easy and then decision. he wanted so he wanted to too. No, it started from me. Started I was like, me. yeah, like, but I'm, I mean, it started from me. It started from you, <laughs> and then it was me, and then I talked to him about it, and then it's. I think it's boring. <laughs> I think it's good though, just because um, you know you just came with a couple of guitars, bass, and a dream. And, and what was it about hearing Green Day and being at the age of twelve? Like, I wa- like, why did you want to come and make and release music in the states? What, <sighs> what, what was the appeal? I don't even know. I just remember seeing American Idiot, and I was like, what is this? I want it, and also to be it. And just something spoke to you about it. There was no, no something Some, indefinable? Something, it felt like very rebellious and very, like, like, very emotional, even though it's, like, so angsty, you know? Like, very... Yeah, it's and it's angsty, and I was like a angsty teen. Angsty teen, exactly. And given the you know, the two different cities that you've existed in, Tel Aviv and and New York, what what would you say are, are some of the the differences in people's reception to having the dream of being a musician, or the opportunities, or the availability, or New York versus Tel Aviv, and being like, I'm a musician, I want to be a, a rock and roller. How how is it received? Well, personally, I. Um, I do feel some kind of like wearing out here, like, like, be like getting worn out because there's so much music and so many people, even though in Israel, like in Tel Aviv, also every single person I know is an artist, Mm. but here, yeah, like all the music, it's kind of like too much sometimes, but, but also I found here a community that really, like, when I fall, they lift me up. And I have Nogi and I have Paul, and we're together, you know. We help each other out. And that's something that was harder in Tel Aviv, for some reason. Can we hear a song? Yeah. What are you going to play for us first? Uh, So this is actually a song that started... um, our, we had so we did have a band in Israel and we used to call it bar vase, like a bar and a vase. But it's actually a mutation of the word uh, barvaz, which means duck in Hebrew. And I really like ducks. As you just waved your duck tattoo at me. Yes, yeah, so this is the radio, so it's good that you explained that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so h- here we go. Power Snap Live on Snacky Tunes. Yes. One, two, three.
You mentioned finding community here. I'm guessing it's the King Pizza world. Yes. Uh, who's been so great to us and has sent us so many, 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 many wonderful bands. We love them. Yeah, we love them too. How did you find them and what spoke to them that pulled you in and made you feel safe, secure, warm, loved? So this is actually a really funny story. Now, it's even funnier. Because, so I moved here. We moved here together. What year was that? Uh, October 2016. Okay. Um, we moved just for the winter. Like, just for, like, the roughest time of the year. Just in time. And, um... And we, I was going, like, trying to go to a lot of shows by myself, which I've never done before in Israel. But here I didn't know anyone. And Nogi was busy with her boyfriend. So, and with, like, hating winter. <laughs> so I went, I went to shows, like, Googled, found Oh My Rockness, went to shows, blah, 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 Alphaville, all those places. Then one day, I saw there was this band called Ghost King. They were playing at Alphaville. I went to see them, and Nogi joined me for, like, the first time. And I loved them, and after the show, I was coming up to the lead singer to, to tell him that I loved the show, and this other guy came up to him first, this bearded guy, who was asking the lead singer about booking a show, booking his band somewhere. And I heard, it was, like, right when, like, a month after we started Power Snap, before... Paul, Paul, Paul is like, we had a, one drummer before him who was Israeli, and then we were like, no, we need a local. <laughs> Jersey boy. A Jersey boy. Joyzy. Anyway, so I, I um, later on spoke to that bearded guy whose name is Greg. And I was like, hey, I have a show. Um, yeah, book me. <laughs> I banned, I mean, I was very nervous. <laughs> that was the first time I saw Greg. Um, and I heard about this, um, the Mad Doctors, this band, and they were having their, um, vinyl release a month later. So I went to that, and that was one of the most amazing shows I've been at in New York and ever. It was the first mosh pit I've been in, in the city, and everything was just so, like, loving and beautiful, and all the bands were amazing. And what's so funny about it, not only that we're in the King Pizza family now, is that Nogi plays bass for Ghost King. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. And then some. And then some. Can we hear another song? Sure. What are you going to play for us? Um, we're going to play our song, Chemistry, from, for, for, from our EP that we released uh, via King Pizza in the summer. The the EP is named The Latency, and you can still get um, cassettes if you are cool and if, have a cassette player. If you so desire. Before you play, uh, the video is very good. Have you seen it? Yes, I've Yay! seen it. Uh, and I, we encourage everyone to check it out. Um, who directed it, and what was the, the idea behind it? And who are all the people that are in it? So, there's more than three of you. <laughs> right. Paul oh, wasn't there was <laughs> because of his time. But mm -hmm. by the time that we released the video... Paul was already the drummer, so Great. that was kind of funny. <laughs> Throwing his stick in the air in triumph. Um, directed and shot and edited it. Edited it. Was, uh, are, were, Gal Shaya and Efrat Kariv, two of our d very dear Israeli friends. 
and um, a couple other or three other of our friends um, were in it as my obstacles to get into the thing that I desire that in the end is my demise. I mean, well said. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's hear the song. Um, yeah, okay. came out earlier this year delatency 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 like delay and latency delay, a, a new word yes a new word uh where did greg it, our, our our friend from king pizza <laughs> was like before we released it he was like just just making sure you know it's not a real word right, right. <laughs> they're like it's not like some like israeli translation where like uh no no we're pretty sure it's a word <laughs> Or, or I was like, is this an Israeli word that we don't? Is this some Hebrew that we don't know? It's like, no. It's just a made-up word. No. Where does it come from? Um, delay and latency. Because, you know, just... Everything's, like, always late, you know? Like, this EP took, like, two years to make. Like, the, those three and a half songs. I felt like we moved here a little too late. Um... Uh, we were always late when we like scheduled stuff with Paul. Um, 
when we recorded the album, there was a lot of latency issues that we needed to to solve. You said three and a half songs? Yeah. What's the half song? Miscellaneous. Oh. <laughs> How is the song a half song? Um, well, I encourage you. What? It's like a mashup. It's like, yeah, it's like a medley. Okay. Of like weird demo thingies with some like skit bits. And uh, yeah, I highly... We're on Spotify, actually, as of like yesterday or something. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) And uh, yeah, please uh, go listen to The Latency and uh, tell us what you think about Miscellaneous. Was it stupid? Maybe. Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. If you could message back to 12-year-old you who was into American Idiot and just had a dream of releasing music in the States, now that you've done it, what would you say to her and how do you feel about her currently? Oh my God, I actually had a talk with her like <laughs> like a few weeks before my 24th birthday. Um... And it was very, it was very emotional. It Set was this, very nice. Tell us. Set the stage for us. Um, I got super stoned. And like, I looked in my eyes. I looked in the mirror and the eyes there were looking. It was like my image, but the eyes there were looking back was me when I'm like 14, like 10 years ago. Um, and I was like, look. Look where you look where I am. Look where you are. And she was like, "Oh my god. This is awesome." <laughs> <laughs> and then how does 24-year-old you feel about it now that you've done it? This disregarding the fact that you moved here too late and everything's late. Yeah, I'm still I'm still not satisfied. Still not satisfied. Why is that? Cuz cuz I want us to play in front of like 5,000 people, not 15 people. <laughs> <laughs> so come to our shows, help, help us, help us. <laughs> I want to make sure we have time for one more song, but you're already on Spotify. But where can people find you, follow you, come to your shows, get yes. all the information? Um, when is this thing gonna be on? Tomorrow. Awesome. So come to our show in a few days. In um. Uh, on the 29th at Our Wicked Lady, it's Thursdays for the Cause, which means that all proceeds from the door and 10% of proceeds from the bar goes to um, each month they pick a different charity. This month it's for this um, union to help uh, voting rights, something. So that that is cool. That is good. You should come. There's going to be special guests, maybe. And then also we're playing a show on December 9th with our dear, dear friends, Top Nachos, the band with the coolest name in the world. Great name. And um, yeah, we're on Spotify and and stuff now and probably Apple Music, hopefully. I don't know. I'll I'll check. (laughs) You can buy our album on Bandcamp. You can buy the cassette on Bandcamp, too. And if you want a sick, super, super, duper soft T-shirt with, like, double-sided one with stuff on the back and on the front. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. All sizes, either blue or white, come to one of our shows or, like, private messages or something like that. Perfect. Well, we want to thank uh, Sherry Bear for coming on and congratulations on your 15-year anniversary. 
Power Snap. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you, Greg. Uh, we will be back next week with an all-new episode of Snacky Tunes. What are you going to take us out with? Pusher. 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 Thanks for listening. See you next week. One, two, three, four. I do I have to push you? Do I have to clean up? Or in the mind, or to take arms against careless program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.